Cheers. To another interesting week. Very interesting. So before we get started, uh, because we're taping this podcast during the time that the Ukraine is under siege by Russian forces, we just wanted to express our support uh, for Ukraine and their people and their suffering. It's uh, a terrible uh, situation with an incursion into a democratic, free and sovereign state. And uh, we're not going to get into any of the details because we have other things to discuss on our podcast. But we just want to express our disdain at what's happening and our um, sympathy for sympathy the and our emotions with there. the people who are suffering so incredibly badly. So, yeah. and, and we're touched by it because one of our members of our firm has family in, in Kiev and we have other people with connections to Russia. So this is a, a real f-ing shame. Anyways. Yeah. And in Canada. <laughs> yes. What's going on in Canada? It's Talk thing. about emergencies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what do we call this? There's a dispute. We'll call it the trucker convoy for neutrality. Um, but a bunch of things have happened since we first spoke about that. And uh, I shouldn't say like, uh, what should we call it? Because it, it's sometimes called the freedom convoy. And that's a, a controversial thing. But I, I found it interesting that a couple of articles came out saying that freedom is a new, uh, I don't know, it's a, like a buzzword or whatever for like, you know, racism and all this other stuff, how freedom was, was now becoming a bad word. And that didn't go very far, thankfully, because it's such an important concept in a free and democratic society. But we're going to call it the trucker convoy. And the thing that happened after we discussed uh, it before is Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act. So one of you wants to try and explain what that is and why we have it. Oy, uh, all right, so the Emergencies Act is basically what it sounds like. It's... Uh, uh, break glass in case of emergency. Uh, it uh, permits, it, it replaced the War Measures Act, which was the old act that um, was last used um, in the October crisis with the FLQ and the Quebec, and the situation in Quebec. <clears throat> um, and what it does, uh, what the War Measures Act did was suspend a number of laws um, and uh, give executive power uh, in a state of emergency to the federal government and the cabinet to do particular things. Uh, It was obviously, well, if anybody's at all familiar with the history, it was widely uh, abused, um, you know, recognized that uh, thousands of people, uh, the very least hundreds, more thousands were arrested uh, for no apparent reason, just kind of an embarrassment and a bit of a stain on um, the history of, you know, um, our country. Though ultimately it had an actual, you know, there was some some good reason behind it. Well, it was a real uh, crisis. The the October crisis was... There was a kidnapping and a murder and a bomb being set up in front of a bank and lots of things. uh, You know, significant amount of bombings and so on and so forth. But... Uh, in the wake of that, there was uh, a decision, uh, you know, there was an inquiry, and then the uh, proposal was to introduce uh, a new reform act uh, called the Emergencies Act to take over. And the principle behind it is that, uh, you know, the cabinet, uh, the parliament can pass the Emergencies Act. Uh, well, I think the gov- uh, I think the prime minister can invoke it. 
Then there has to be a vote within a certain time frame. Seven days. Seven days. There must be a vote in Parliament. And then after that, it gets, uh, you know, there's a sunset clause that it has to be re-voted on every, I think, 30 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the Senate has veto power. The Senate has veto power and also has built into it that there's going to be an inquiry every time that there was one uh, that it's been invoked and so on and so but forth. But importantly, though, before invoking that, all other measures should be attempted first. Right. The whole point is it's an emergency. It cannot be dealt with by any other means. It has a specific sort of uh, definition. So it first came into power in 1988, and it defines a national emergency that is a situation so clear that it is an urgent um, and critical situation that seriously endangers the health and safety of Canadians or that seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada. It must be a situation that cannot be effectively dealt with by other provinces and territories or by any other law of Canada. And so they talk about four types, which is a public welfare emergency, public order emergency, international or war emergency. So we're really dealing with the public order, but there's a very defined mandate for it. Right. And so there's you know, some criticisms that came about uh, with the Trudeau's choice to, to go um, pretty much directly to the Emergencies Act, which actually caused the Civil Liberties Association to file, um, I don't know if it was a lawsuit against them so much as an injunction perhaps, or I'm not sure exactly what their motion was or their action was. But it, would, it, would have, it was a lawsuit because you lawsuit. have to have a declaration that's unconstitutional, so it's an act. It's a civil action as opposed to an injunction. An injunction is right. different, yeah. Which, you know, that was actually surprising to me because I haven't seen them be as active, uh, proactive in recent years, but it was, it was I, I thought it was a, a really important move. And one of the big problems is, as far as I could see, people weren't even being ticketed for bylaw infractions at the time this thing was evoked. And I, and I would add in that all Trudeau had done prior to that was escalate the situation by abusive remarks through the media and so on. He just basically was pouring gasoline on the on, on the fire. Well, I you know, rather than debating what was what was happening on on sort of on the ground, we know that I think what was bringing it to the forefront was the blockage of the bridge between Windsor and Michigan, mm-hmm. where the U.S. president actually phoned. Or the prime minister and said, do get your in order because it was shutting down the economy on the largest corridor we have between the two uh, provinces in the state. And um, action had to be taken at that point. And that's why provincially we had a declaration and then federally, um, and then they moved in. I'm not, it's not clear to me that there was not sufficient powers under the criminal code of Canada and other mechanisms to deal with both the bridge issue and with the uh, convoy that was now an encampment in Ottawa. So really what we're talking about here is really the overreach of government in situations when there's, uh, there's other mechanisms to deal with this. Well, Ford actually used a Provincial Emergencies uh, yeah. Act sort of thing that uh, they, they'd already cleared the bridge by the time Trudeau invoked the Emergency Measures Act federally. Right, but the spark of, of Trudeau doing this was the phone call from the United States and the trade was not going through. 
and there was a, a lot of an economic, there was a serious economic loss, which was legitimate um, because there was no good reason to block trade and start to harm other businesses in this country or the United States, in my opinion. Um, it was absurd to do that, but I, I'm not sure it was necessary for Trudeau to act the way he did, but, but whatever. Ford used the same act that he was using during the pandemic, and then he brought in uh, sufficient police services to go in and move them out, and, 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 it, and it happened. Yeah. I mean, to a large degree, <clears throat> because there's so, so much dispute over the way the events are being reported and so on, a lot of this is based on opinion, and politicians are very aware of and reactive to public opinion. So all of our opinions are part of that, right? Um, and uh, so what I found really intriguing is that, one, this is an, an immediate effect, but it's only a temporary measure, right? But immediately before he's had it ratified, he can go ahead and start violating charter rights and, and so on, right? Take extreme measures, some of which included freezing bank accounts, cutting off insurance for vehicles that they didn't approve of and so on. Um, things that they said are tools at our disposal now that they wouldn't have been able to use. And then it, it was delayed in Parliament. In fact, they canceled a day of debate because of the protest itself, right? And the emergency measures that were invoked and all this. So. So they ended up not being able to debate because of him invoking the act in the first place. And um, and then at the very last minute, you know, the, the seven days or whatever, they get it passed through whatever means, you know, political parties aligning and so on. And the very next day, he says, done with it. So he pressured groups to support it and so on. And then after making sure that it would pass, all of a sudden, it's not necessary the very next day. So, so let's break it down for a moment. So... One of the points of this is if you need to debate it in Parliament and then have it approved by the Senate in order to take action, on, let's talk about a hypothetical emergency that may be a real public order issue or a, a public welfare issue, waiting eight, nine or 10 days or longer could be extremely detrimental to the country, national security or, or, or citizens. So there's good reason for the cabinet and for the federal government to be able to move swiftly. What they did in this situation was they had a number of measures and enhanced powers to, like you said, cancel insurance of people on those trucks, to seize them, to impound them, to uh, possibly remove their licenses, to um, and then to seize bank accounts uh, for the funding, contributors, sponsors, and donors, which was, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, which really is extreme and, and was without any justification, but, but they were able to do that. Um, the problem is in this case, and, and let's be clear how this got passed in Parliament. It was supported by the NDP, although he said reluctantly. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But he supported it. And then the Conservatives didn't support it, uh, nor did the Bloc. The Bloc Québécois opposed it. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, how do you say I don't support this in French? <laughs> we, we stumped you last time we asked you something. Uh... I forget. Anyway, so look, that's what happened. But what 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 became, you know, crazy is, and you know, we talked about this a little bit when you and I were discussing topics to prepare for, and Chris, you were too busy winning a case. Um, somebody's got to. Somebody's got to do that. Somebody's got to um, do it. You know, there, there was a debate about at what point did the protests start to become an infringement on other people's rights. And, and, and difficult for people who lived and worked in the area. My, my point of this was whether you think it was an effective messaging, 
I, I thought it went on too long and I thought certain optics weren't good for the messaging. The, the point to me was it should have stopped at a certain point, but I thought there were sufficient powers under the criminal code for police to go in properly to, to first give information to people, to give them warnings, and then they have sufficient power to bring in RCMP and do what they need to do. To, to, like, we, we've got, the charges are all under the criminal code. Mischief, counseling to commit yeah. mischief. There's nuisance, which is available. They can they can seize uh, property that's related to the criminal act. I mean, well, and there's bylaws. There's yeah. tons of stuff. Like it, 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 to me, this was such a symbolic move for something that was not yeah. an emergency, like what we had in Quebec. Um, you know, all those decades ago. Well, let's look at the uh, bail hearing you've spoken about, given a couple of of interviews about. Um, where bail was denied to somebody who was arrested and the judge who then reviewed that denial of bail said that uh, and you can explain the full thing but just there was a comment in there that when you look at um, the damage done that the, the worst thing you know, was like at the least it was a nuisance but at the most it was just interference with other people's property yeah so that's um, the extent of so, it it's not it's not terrorism no so so this is where we, we have commonality, and I think people are watching this. There's, there's, some, there's is an important point in history that I think we have to be careful about. There, we're not under any illusion, and I want to be clear for a moment. We've said this in many episodes where I've thrown a, a court case away. If you think we really live in a free and democratic society where, you know, we're going to get all our rights and we can't have any restrictions on our liberties, like, you're living in the wrong country. That's not going to, that's not reality. We have fundamental rights which are subject to limits, and there's a charter and a constitution. Some Canadians actually refer to their First Amendment, actually. Which yeah. I, I so let's leave that. that stupidity aside. <laughs> but 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 there, there's two important things that happen here that we got to talk about because I think it's a, an important point in history we can't repeat. One, uh, what was what's her name properly? Tara. Tara Leach. Tara Leach. Tamara. Yeah. Tamara. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to mispronounce the last name. But she was held and for bail, not, not sure whether the bail plan was put together, you know, as um, succinctly as it should have and as solidly as it should have, but the, the justice of peace who did the bail hearing detained her on the basis that she wasn't uh, satisfied with First one of all, the sureties. It wasn't a justice of peace, it was a um, <clears throat> Ontario Court of Justice judge. It was a judge? It was a judge. Because what I was reading was it was a justice of the peace, but that's it, it was, was not. Judge. That's a justice. Okay, so it was an Ontario Court justice, yeah, um, which has jurisdiction, mm -hmm. but detained under the tertiary grounds mostly. So, to explain, there's primary, secondary, and tertiary. So one, two, three. One, if we release the person, they're going to show up to court. Two, are they going to commit other offenses? Three, uh, would the public be so shocked? Um, given the strength of the Crown's case and the uh, uh, likelihood of a significant penalty, would the public's faith in the bail system be shocked if they were released? Great. So this is a really important point. So three is really what's the strength of the Crown's case and the seriousness of it? And and what the judge on review... You have to meet all three factors for no, them to be denied no. bail? Okay. No. It can be any one of the three or any combination thereof. Exactly. But what's more important is... <laughs> This third ground. So if the judge was dissatisfied and had a proper view and wasn't emotional, I think. I, I think emotions ran high in this detention. But if you sat back and just said, look, it's a mischief charge or counseling for mischief, you, you look at the third ground, 
just like the Superior Court judge who did the release said, uh, no, this is not somebody who's going to commit a homicide. <laughs> this yeah. isn't a f an offense where there were weapons used, drugs, or, or violence. None of that happened. Yeah. So the tertiary ground really is not at play here. And if she was convicted. And, and, and this is, they're proceeding on a summary conviction basis, as I understand it. So the penalty is like a few months. That, that's the greatest that this person would ever get in jail. So she's already served a significant part of a sentence, which may not ever happen. This judge actually, because I was following the live tweets, this judge apparently said, according to a journalist who was there, more watching because it was Zoom, that um, she was unlikely to even get jail time. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you don't Very often much. see somebody for counseling a mischief charge to get jail. Mm -hmm. And um, but but let's assume there would be some jail. Whatever time she spent in jail by the time of the review was done, especially during COVID, which we still have yeah. around. We do, um, and so it was ridiculous that this person was not released uh, right away. I, I I think the police should have just released on an under what we call an undertaking. Police have the power. You put in certain conditions, but if you have to have a bail hearing. The judge should have just simply said if they if they were upset with a surety, they didn't think they were going to supervise, say, look, come back to me tomorrow with another surety, strengthen up your, your plan for release, and we'll release her. Not detain on on that ground that's reserved for very serious drug offenses, gun offenses. There's people on murder charges who are on This bail. firm has. Yeah. Chris has won three bail hearings. On well, first-degree murder. On first-degree murder with releases. I had two. And we have umpteen clients charged with very serious offenses. Yep. We're out on bail. And it's absurd, beyond absurd, that she was detained and that anybody charged should after ever have to go to a bail hearing. I'll You've be been pretty passionate about, you know, no, this is it's a big issue because it's not just this particular case, but there has been some attacks on the bail system, um, you know, that have been going on for a while. And it's, I know, it's painful because... You, it's a presumption of guilt, you know. Can I have a sip <laughs> when I talk about the bail? Yeah, no, you're right. There has been attacks on the bail system yeah. by politicians who don't know what they're talking about, who say that we need reform because somebody who shows cause why they should be released on bail and shows that there may be weakness in the Crown's case, God forbid, got bail. And so we have politicians who don't know what they're talking about because they want to pander to the public yeah. to get a vote says well, stupid stuff like this, which also, is very offensive. But I, I, I'm going to shut up now, But and you can carry on the conversation. I'm just trying to mark this in history, because this is ridiculous. Yeah. It should never be repeated. But they also, you know, there's there's anecdotal issues, which aren't just anecdotes when that actually happens. But, but you get, like, cases where somebody actually does commit some sort of heinous crime when they're out on bail, and then it, it puts a stain on the entire system. But you can't punish everybody who, many of whom may be innocent. Let's remind our listeners or watchers or viewers that um, bail is a constitutional right. You have a constitutional right to reasonable bail, regardless of your offense. We don't detain unless there is sufficient grounds that this person is going to commit further offenses, will really abscond. And the offense is going to be something, you know... It's serious, serious. Or, or the evidence is so absolutely overwhelming and it's such a serious offense that releasing the person would be a slap in the face, really, to, to administration of justice. I'm going to be cheeky. I wonder if one of her bail conditions is that she's not allowed to honk a horn. 
<laughs> She's not allowed to blow her nose loud in public. <laughs> but um, so there was the, another thing I want to say about that particular hearing, though, with with Tamara is that um, there was a lot of discussion and accusations that the judge had a reasonable apprehension of bias, Aye. and that was a well, terrible ground. They did the ground. same thing on the bail review. I know, that this I, was which was stupid. Absolutely. Sorry, guys, who did it. Sorry. Dumb move. Yeah, no, it's I don't I couldn't believe that that was brought up as a serious. You know, I I would not ever, tr- you know, unless there's just a palpable example. palpable evidence that the justice is the presiding justice is biased uh, or has an agenda or what have you. It is. Yeah. Uh, and it's, as a note, it's ridiculous. The defense to make even that. apparently said at the hearing that that wasn't they didn't consider that one of their strong grounds of appeal. <laughs> But don't. Well, that's 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 an understatement. It's not it's not worth the argument because a you're just going to piss off the judge, and b really most judges, by and large, you know are are not going to be biased that way. There and and you know you have to have serious you have to have a serious evidentiary basis to make that accusation. It's an affront to. to You have to have a comment that stands out as there's no other way to interpret that comment as as you know other than it shows some sort of bias i think there has to be evidence yeah. of the judge holding a particular political view that would interfere with the ability of that judge in this type of context to oversee this bail hearing and there was no evidence to that it was about running for a riding or whatever yeah the only thing actually where i think there is certain sort of real kind of concern about bias is when a judge presided over trial and then convicted is is then asked to um, to allow a retrial and mistrial because they're saying that the judge made a mistake. And I'm just like, how do you ask a judge to admit they made a mistake? And I always find that one really Well, you weird. know, interestingly but enough, it happens. Sometimes and I've it, done that yeah. three times in my career and I got mistrials. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, in one of those cases, when we did it in a elegant way, the judge said, you're right. Yeah. And granted a mistrial. You know why? Because the judge actually gave a shit about doing the right thing. Which is a and, vast, and, vast well, majority just, of the members of our judiciary. Yeah. So you know, even if they, even if there's an error, to you know, to impute bad faith on the error of the, um, for the error is just that's somewhere you shouldn't go unless you have just absolute rock solid evidence. Uh, you know the the point is not to diminish the judiciary or our system it's to just say look for whatever happened here are the errors this is why I think uh, the decision should be overturned Um, and you know I do appeal cases you've been to the court of appeal fun times we don't insult uh, or impute um, the uh, trial judge mm-hmm. uh, you know it's just look in the heat of the moment this is what happened and there were certain errors well and, and also it doesn't mean that there was bias it's just a reasonable apprehension of bias so yeah but you know it's one oh. and the same you know you're raising the specter of somebody being biased whether you call it a reasonable apprehension or not you have to have a solid foundation for it period yeah. in this case it was simply a situation where I think emotions were running high there was a lot of hyperbole in the media and 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 for whatever reason, there's a lot of views about what what was bad about this, what was good about it, and everybody had opinions, and there was there was a bit of polarization, and, and it may have had a play in the judge initially on the bail hearing, forming the opinion uh, that 
he or she did about the third ground. Whatever. Also, the judge on a review did it correct. Right. And also, you can't, you know, <laughs> the second bail hearing, I, I don't fully understand because typically, uh, you know, there's a publication ban on bail hearings, the details of bail hearings. And there wasn't on the first one. Uh, there was on the second. I know that uh, the media has been unable to report the details of uh, the sureties and all sorts of things. The first one, there was plenty of... A little of, bit more slipped out than shown, frankly. The only <laughs> publication ban mentioned, actually, was the publication ban on the surety's name. That's right. There was, on both of them, a lot more leaked out. There's supposed to be an automatic... Right. Um, to protect the integrity of the evidence and integrity of the trial. Well, automatic on the request of the uh, accused. Um, <clears throat> and um, so, but, you know, it has to be acknowledged that what was reported on the first bail hearing were some very unhelpful answers by the the sureties and a bit of cheekiness, uh, or the or I guess her husband. That's what it sounded like. Is that there was some sort um, of disrespect for the system kind of we, comments being made, but we, I, I didn't which, read what they were. So. Well, uh, you know, the failure to know who it is that's flying you on a private jet things of that nature give the sense that, well, maybe he's not a particularly serious surety uh, and may have colored her interpretation as to what threat there was on the tertiary ground. So it's, you yeah. know, that An happens. interesting thing, though, about court hearings of any kind is they're only supposed to make decisions based on the evidence in front of them. It's not supposed to be based on media reports and all this other stuff. Right, correct? You're well, only supposed to assess the information not, in front of you? No, not quite. When you get to the tertiary ground, it's, you know, uh, there is obviously the wane. The public uh, interest. The public it? interest. Yeah. You have to take so into consideration the, you know, the climate. You know, it's, yeah. for example, uh, if it was, you know, the, you can get bail on a terrorism case. It's, it's not an automatic. It's not a single uh offense for which there's you know no bail uh but obviously you know depending on what the allegation was and so on and so forth that what about treason uh, we're getting a little far side <laughs> sorry i'm just like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think i've defended one of those cases but you, no. you probably could get bail on it. I, I it almost sounded to me like with the way this was being reported, it sounded like they were trying to make a case for treason. By look, they, look, I don't but, know. You know like, but we yeah. already spoke about it a number of yeah. times. Yeah. That how do we get the correct facts about anything? That, yeah. That, yeah. that reporting now is opinion-based as opposed right. to fact-based or objectively done. And so, you know, leaving I, that aside, I think, I think what we're trying to strike for the moment that's important for us to remember as Canadian society for our chartering going forward that, you know, in circumstances, should we ever have protests like this again, uh, we, we have to not use such a heavy hand and we can't overreach as a government and, and arrest and detain the way they did in this circumstance. It's bad. And there's other people to be arrested again. Protecting well, other so people's rights is protecting your own rights. Well, hold, hold on. Uh, it's very philosophical. But yeah, protecting rights. But, but rights, but that's what we do is, you know, when we talk to juries about, you know, when, when, principles of reasonable doubt and other stuff that's there for everybody's protection you know people mm -hmm. think getting off on a criminal charge is a f***ing technicality when it's not it's there for everybody's protection because it's so easy for somebody to be charged and to be convicted that we have to adhere to these principles a principle of bail in the context of this type of offense is something that should be strictly adhered to give them bail 
don't make these type of mistakes and don't overreach. Right. Uh, talk about. I think it's important to talk about people's money. I mean, the well, bank account. Well, that's just the crazy. next. I was going to say, like, you know, let's look at one of the emergency measures, which actually the they financial then, they have a couple of court orders to still freeze accounts right now that are based on. But what happened? But what happened immediately after? What happened immediately after was people's accounts were being seized. So people who were seen as being um, organizers without notification, but nothing. The no bank, order. the government, just asked without prior judicial authorization, seize these people's accounts. So if they were an organizer or a sponsor, and in many cases donors, their bank accounts, whether they're personal or business or otherwise were seized by the banks where you have your own f***ing money. Yeah. Can't use your credit card, can't do anything, can't buy food, can't... Well, there are a couple things. First of all, the the government, under the criminal code, has the ability to do this. It has to... They have to get a court order. They have to get a court order. Correct, right? Which means that you actually have an independent uh, member of the judiciary who reviews an affidavit uh, sworn to by a police officer setting, uh, out evidence. setting out the evidence for which they believe that there's an offense that's been committed and that the, you know, in this case, it would be the proceeds um, the, uh, are proceeds of crime. <clears throat> that was, you know, <laughs> uh, just done away with. And it was just a list of people that were given um, by the RCMP to banks to freeze their assets, um, which included not simply the organizers, but hundreds of other people who were donors. This is, I was reading a report today saying that the RCMP didn't give them the names of everybody whose accounts were temporarily frozen, that they also enacted sort of a thin track kind of thing, is like look into any suspicious activities. So the banks were tasked with trying to decide themselves who might have been engaged in suspicious activities. But, but let's just make this clear for everybody who's, who's viewing our podcast. Donors had their lawful assets, money that they earned from work, either in their business or savings, ceased. This isn't proceeds of crime. No. It's not drug money. It's not money funneled through for terrorist acts in some shell corporation. So That's insane. And even if it's a person who is an organizer, the money that they're raising isn't going to be sitting in their personal account or maybe their own business account for their cleaning shop. It would be in... A separate account, maybe. It was know. across the board. We already knew where it was. Yes. Money was transferred from the original site, which then shut them down. $1.4 million, I think it was, was in a frozen TD account. They already knew where it was, and it was frozen already. Yeah. We assume they do. Again, we, we're not privy to all the information that's out there. So we, we can't, we haven't fact-checked it, and we have to be really careful about that. What we do know as fact is people's accounts were frozen who were not who, who had lawful funds frozen yeah, by their yeah. banks, which is absolutely an abomination, and and can never happen again. And to have um, <clears throat> the deputy uh, prime minister when asked, "Well, what's the recourse for somebody who's had their you know account frozen?" to chuckle and say, "Well, you can call your bank." That's not. 
you know that's they not the rule of law. Bounce. Yeah, no, Car no, payments bounce. That's that's not the rule of law. Yeah, uh, the notion that you know you go and you beg and so on and so forth um, after the the government has had them, you know, uh, enlisted private actors, that is the banks themselves seize people's assets and your friends couldn't even e-transfer you money at that point when you're in that state because like you have to find like some sort of secondary source and then and and it was so questionable as to how far reaching this was it was like if you tried to send through say moneygram or some other you know third-party service if they saw the person's name is it going to be flagged on the list yeah. no more on this where's the money go Right. I mean, I mean, let's not joke about it. And it's too bad. You know, I, I, I actually don't mind the deputy prime minister. I don't think I've said anything nasty about her at all in any of our episodes. And and I think she was sent out, as she does so many times, to take the flack for our idiot prime minister and his decisions. Well, I think that's why she was doing the funky chicken on camera that one time. <laughs> well, whatever, whatever she was doing, I feel actually bad for her to some extent because I think she has more ethics than that. And this was an absolute... Uh, you know, it, it was an affront to what we hold dear in this society that, you know, if I earn and I work and I have and I save and I have in my account, it's protected and, and the government helps in part of that protection. And they just did away with that. And I know when we were talking, I'm saying this can't last. They're going to have to get unfrozen because the banks are going to be liable. And this is very bad. But there were a lot of people laughing at the people whose accounts got Absolutely. frozen, regardless of, of who it was or whether they deserved it or not. Yeah, and that's why I say it's important we live to in remember. A nasty society. You're giving we live up your in a nasty, own. We don't live in a friendly society. No, we live no, in no. a nasty society. Well, I don't know but about they that. forget it's oh, their own true. rights too, and yeah. the the repercussions to them because we. How many people walk into our firm, accused of something, and saying, "I never thought this could happen to me." They do, and let's just say one more thing. And I think we should probably yeah. get close to concluding on this, um, but just checking our topics but you know this is this is an instance in canadian history where innocent people who are just a donor had their accounts frozen and other people their lawful money think about persons who are accused of certain offenses haven't had their day in court Uh, evidence may be you know not convincing uh, but they have assets frozen and bank accounts frozen and here's the other thing if you're charged with certain offenses um and and banks get notification that you're charged with certain offenses, even though in your account there may not be illegal funds. The banks have the right to just shut down your accounts, and that happens. Mm-hmm. So if you're charged with you know, human trafficking, for example, and yes, I know, it can be bad. I agree with that. But you're, you have a right to you know, be tried, and in some cases people are acquitted because it's not always what you think it is. No, of course uh, not. But, you know, we've had clients, and I have clients, I who bank not. after bank shuts down their accounts. These are lawful These are lawful accounts with lawful money, paying mortgages. There's an RESP for a child in there, and it's all, get it all out. Mm-hmm. So th- this is where we go too far as a society, way before anybody's been proven guilty of anything let's serious. Talk, let's just quickly, I just want to mention something that pe- more people can relate to. Um, Let's look at, let's imagine like with Tamara's situation as something that's like you're organizing a protest. Let's compare that to say you're arrested for drunk driving. Should you get bail? Are you more likely to, you know, are, are you likely to drink again? Well, a lot of people are alcoholics. So, you know, should alcoholics be denied bail after being charged with drunk driving? There's a public interest. Look at MAD and how effective they are. 
people get killed. People is is potentially violent offense drinking and driving. So should everybody charged with with driving over you know over eighty should they be denied bail? No. And I think there's a lot more people out there who could actually say it's possible that like you know there's a lot of people who shouldn't. But you could make a stronger argument on a very serious impaired related offense to detain somebody than you can in this case with counseling to commit mischief, which mm -hmm. was just stupid to detain her at all yeah. and and anybody who's yet to be arrested the authorities and and the judiciary should you know realize this is, these are people who should be treated fairly with due process and be released on and a people day. who were laughing at her for not getting bail should really think about how easily they could be denied bail if they got charged with something they yeah, didn't know I, I mean totally agree yeah. that was a good one thank you guys